When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Happy Thanksgiving, Jacob. Happy Thanksgiving, my friend. How how was your Thanksgiving Thanksgiving in Canada? Well, I I watched football because it's not a holiday here. Our Thanksgiving was a month ago, and it was lovely. Uh, And it's on a Monday. It's on an illegitimate Thursday Thanksgiving. That being said, we do get Black Friday sales. So on my way to the library this morning to go and and get some studying in, I passed by the mall, uh, and I got a couple jackets, and they were on sale. So that's nice. I appreciate America for that. You know, I, I, it, it is, it's always funny to me how I think like America, obviously you guys get cold a little bit later than we do. And so I feel like Thanksgiving, the fact that it's like perfectly timed to be like the official beginning of fall in both countries, uh, where you just move it up by a month in Canada is, is always very fascinating to me. And our CFL season also starts like a couple months earlier and it's longer. So Thanksgiving is also perfectly timed where it's like the same time of the CFL season as it is in the NFL season. It's just... It's beautiful symmetry. I feel like that's the invisible hand at work. Uh, no, Thanksgiving was good. I enjoyed the football games, and it was by far the least productive weekday I'll have studying for exams uh, the entire year. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't expect you to get anything done, but guess what? We have some DFS to talk about. Welcome on in, everybody. My name is Chase Vernon. This is Jacob Sanderson. Oh, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at FF underscore intervention. You can find Jacob's work over there at Jacob Sanderson on Twitter. We have some DFS to break down and to talk about. Break and I'm very down. excited for this one, right? Because this one has some some little like these little pockets where there could end up being fantasy value while everybody else is playing this chalk. And this week just feels so chalky, right? Like I just feel like we have so many options that are going to fall in between like the 15% to the 30% range. Like I have Jeff Wilson right up against Houston. He's going to be chalk. Latavius Murray is that quote unquote, like free square at 5k, you know, but he's not even like efficient. Like he has to score a touchdown in order to get that. We don't know if he's going to end up getting a touchdown, I mean, he's got to run for better than three yards per carry like he did, you know, up against the Raiders. Meanwhile, he had like four receptions on 23 yards against the worst team by far in the league up against pass catching running backs. So his efficiency was like non-existent. Meanwhile, we have Josh Jacobs, which breaking news, by the way, he has a calf injury. So maybe he won't end up being as chalky as I thought he would, but he is on the sheet. Or or he might be, he might be at 0.0% ownership potentially. Well, we'll see. Yeah, Kenneth Walker as well. Uh, meanwhile, I think a lot of the stacks that, that we're going to talk about are going to be like the Kyler Murray, the the Justin Herbert, the Patrick Mahomes type stacks. We're going to see just a lot of chalk kind of uh, spread across the slate. And I think it's going to give us some opportunities to have some inter- interesting plays that have hit in the past and continue to hit. So I'm excited for that. You excited? I'm pumped, man. This is a fun <laughs> slate. I mean, I used to... My uh, my old DFS show used to be called No Free Squares, and this is like the perfect week for for that vibe because I mean we're getting it. Like it always seems like it happens late in the season as the injuries yeah. start to mount, you start to get backups to backups to backups, all of a sudden get elevated into roles. And it feels like most of this year where we have had starters go out for the most part, like the backups have been kind of guys that we're excited about playing. Like it's like Tony Pollard week or, you know, Benjamin week or whatever else. Like for the most part, it's guys that were like, Oh, these guys can catch the passes. They have a fun skill set. You know, when Penny went out and it was Kenneth Walker, it was like, Oh my God, everybody's pumped to play this, you know, new rookie James Robinson gets traded. People are pumped to play Travis Etienne. Nobody's pumped to play Latavius Murray or Samaj P Ryan. Like this is where we get the gross running backs. And it's fun because I think that's where, you sort of have to play a little bit of a game where if you're building off projections, right? Projections are so much weighted to usage and medians that a Latavius Murray or a Samaj P. Ryan is not going to project all that differently than, you know, a Tony Pollard or a 
Travis Etienne if you give them the same workload assignment, right? If you apportion them the same workload. And so people are going to get excited about that median projection. I think what we have to try and figure out is, do these players have ceilings? Can these players actually bust big plays? Are they completely reliant on the volume of their offense? And what are the ways in which that offense can actually manufacture enough fantasy points for them to get into your winning lineup? Because, you know, that's really the difference ultimately between who we like as cash plays, who we're excited to put in at RB2 if we have a team with a bunch of injuries in a managed league, and who we're putting in our DFS Millie Maker lineup. Yeah, I think there is one exception to that rule, which, you know, we're going to talk a little bit more about, I think, in some depth as we decide to, to line sure. this up. But Rashad White. Rashad White is a guy that you might be a little bit excited to play up against the Browns who struggle up against running backs. But, I mean, they end up going up ahead. You know, we might not see Rashad White get too high levels, too high level of efficiency, or we could see him not even involved in the offense if they're down and they have to pass as the Browns kind of waste clock with, of course, Nick Chubb. But I think that depends on Vita Vea and how healthy he is. But let's go ahead and let's kick this show off. Let's do it. So here's the thing, Jacob, as, as we go through, like, you know, we're looking for these games that we want to attack and, you know, like Tua probably going to see some level of decent ownership. You know, we talked about the Kyler Murray. We talked about, you know, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, you know, a lot of these guys are, are going to have decent levels of ownership but the quarterback position itself, like trying to pivot down off of it you know, off these guys is somewhat difficult. Like we don't want to go with, with Marcus Mariota because he's been absolutely abysmal and, you know, Washington defense has been good. Taylor Henneke, cheap option up against Atlanta with an advantageous matchup. But guess what? That's, that's just a shitty play because Heineke isn't a good fantasy quarterback. He's fine when it comes to winning games, but like, you don't want to play him in fantasy and roll out a guy that's been averaging, you know, what, 13 to 15 points per game. We don't want that. So I think this week we have to figure out which chalk we actually want to play. And then try to find those those pockets that I was discussing earlier for the values on the slate. And, and the first value, right, that I kind of came across was actually, believe it or not, Kyle Allen. Now, hear me out before we end up diving into it. Uh, you know, a lot of people are going to be playing these two stacks, right? There, there's going to be stacks with Tyreek Hill and Jeff Wilson. And I, I think that Jeff Wilson is a must play. Like, I think that you have to play Wilson without Mostert in up against a subpar defense against the running back. You never have to do anything. But, no, no, you don't. But I, I'm going to be playing a lot of Jeff Wilson this week. Kyle Allen, though, has been borderline stable thus far throughout his career when called upon since 2019 with the Carolina Panthers. He saw eight of his 13 games where he threw, he hit at least 250 yards. Six of his 13 games went for over 275, and four of those games went for over 290 yards. Five of those 13 games, he had multiple touchdowns in. So we're talking about, you know, 25% chance to hit up against a, a questionable defense, to say the least, over there for, for the Miami Dolphins. So I, I don't love Kyle Why do you these shitty quarterbacks? Because why I have to one shitty quarterback. Why, why, what happened last week? Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones crushed it last I week. I like Jones as a play, but Jones isn't shitty. Jones is like a QB1 on the year. Kyle Allen Borderline. is not in the same tier as Daniel Jones. He's not. He's not. But we already know that they're going to be losing the game, right? Like that's already. Now we know. We are aware of this. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's not that's not a secret, right? Uh, we also know that Miami Dolphins give up a ton of yards and a ton of touchdowns to the quarterback position. So I'm looking at Kyle Allen as a possible play in like 10% of my lineups this week, just in case he gets me like 20 to 25 points, right? Because at his cost, he allows me to play like some crazy studs. I built a lineup earlier today where I pretty much got in every single stud into my lineup that I possibly wanted, uh, including like Christian McCaffrey, Tyreek Hill. Like it was just like you just saw the lineup and you're like, damn, you still need Kyle Allen to get you there. You still need Kyle Allen to get you the 20 to 25 points. Mm. But I think he can do it. I think that he can hit that 300 yard bonus if forced to pass the whole time. And if Miami, who's been good up against the running backs thus far in the, the year, can actually shut down Damian Pierce. He's going to be forced to throw. He's going to be forced to throw on third and longs. He's going to be forced to throw on, on first downs to get him better yardage because Damian Pierce is running his head into a wall. So I like Kyle Allen. I like pairing him with Brandon Cooks, of course, because we're talking about Nico Collins potentially being out. Brandon Cooks hasn't hit 100 yards yet on the season. But Davis Mills has been terrible at the quarterback position. I think Kyle Allen, who loves his wide receiver ones, he loves the primary wide receiver on his team, can absolutely get you there. I mean, we saw it with, with DJ Moore. Kyle Allen got DJ Moore there. He got Terry McLaurin there when he played with Washington for the two games that he started. We can see Brandon Cooks get there with Kyle Allen up against a very subpar secondary for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, meanwhile, I actually kind of like Chris Moore. 
Chris Morris seen three straight weeks of over five targets uh, as a as a sneaky deep play. Uh, Jacob's not going to give you the time of day on this one. He's not. But well, I mean, why are we, we have we have we have such precious time to talk about DFS every week. We're spending five minutes talking about fucking Kyle Allen and Chris Moore. Thirty-eight hundred. Do, do, do you like hate? Thirty-eight hundred on Chris Moore. And guess who oh. else was relevant while Kyle Allen was at quarterback? That's right. It was Curtis Samuel. So I mean, we we talk about the slot position and how advantageous it can be up in certain matchups. Uh, Dolphins are one of those that you want to attack the slot. So I actually can see myself in like 10% of lineups playing a little bit, just a little bit of Kyle Allen, a little bit of Brandon Cooks, and a little bit of Chris Moore. Meanwhile, I'm running it back with Jeff Wilson Jr. And with Waddle having a shoulder injury and uh, Derek Stingley, the, the corner over there for the Texans, uh, he's actually questionable for this game or doubtful with a, with a hamstring injury. If he's out, I mean, Tyreek Hill doesn't have a defense to play up against, so his efficiency, we already know, is going to be good enough to get you up there. So the game script that I'm hoping for, Dolphins go up early off a couple of Tyreek Hill touchdowns. We have Josh or Jeff Wilson to run the hell out of the ball the rest of the game. And then we see catch-up mode for the Texans. Uh, is that going to be our lineup that we build No, at the end of the show? No, absolutely not. <laughs> okay, so... I mean, I'll, I'll give you this in theory, right? So anytime we have this like super chalk player and it's warranted, like Jeff Wilson projects incredibly, he clearly projects the best point per dollar, uh, not, not even just running back, best point per dollar player on the slate. You know, typically we all have to decide what are the different levers we can pull, right? Do we not play this player? And if so, how do we leverage off of that player? Because you don't really want to just ignore someone in that good of a spot. You want to derive something from it. Or can we find a way to correlate this player so that if it hits, you're getting more than everybody else, right? You kind of have to do one of those two things. If you just bypass it, uh, Kyle you're really Allen. not playing the spot critically. So <laughs> I, I agree with you in that sense that, yes, one of the options in theory, in like a macro sense, if I was to just say this is player X and they're going to be 40% owned at the best projection on the slate is... And if they're a running back, you know, you play them and then you you play them stack with the opposing team. Uh, there's so many quarterback options on this slate and none of them project to be that prohibitively owned that I just don't see a particular reason why I need to get to Kyle Allen. Uh, some of them are even cheap, but I mean, I get it in theory. I think if I'm going to do that, I, honestly, I will probably, I'll just be fully honest. Like I, I'll, I'm just not going to play Jeff Wilson this week. <laughs> Okay. Um, oh, you're not gonna play Jeff Wilson. Okay, that's interesting. No, I I mean look, I'll tell you why. So first of all, I'll be very clear about this. It's kind of similar to the conversation we had, I forget which week, it was like a month ago when I was like, Yes, this is the best running back on the slate. Like I don't think that Zach that Jeff Wilson is like a, a bad play. Like he's a tremendous play, great matchup, full workload, great offense, etc. The only thing I would say is that we haven't actually seen a ton of ceiling out of the Miami running back position. People forget Raheem Mostert virtually had this as a workhorse role for most of the year. He never cracked 25 draft kick points at any point in time this year. Uh, he was generally living in the teens. He was occasionally topping 22 times. This is a team that puts the pedal down. They don't actually run the ball that much at all. They, they pass first as an offense. And then you add in the extra fragility that, you know, we haven't actually seen any game from this team all year where they've just ridden one guy on like 90% of the snaps, right? When it was most early on, it was a mostert Edmonds split. Then it became more Mostert with just a little bit of Edmonds. Then it was a wilson Mostert split. It became more Wilson, a little bit of Mostert. Uh, I mean, is it possible they go 90% snaps Jeff Wilson? That's possible. I think it's at least within the range of possibilities that they keep Jeff Wilson within the 60 to 65% range. And then they just bring in a Salvan Ahmed or Miles uh, Gaskin, whatever else, to try and take that other portion. And in that case, it adds a little bit off of his potential ceiling. And they don't run the ball that much anyways, right? They're primarily a pass-first offense. So I think for me, I look at this game and I think Jeff Wilson's a great play. I'm not super scared that there aren't other running backs that can get up and over his ceiling that I can't build good lineups with. He's also not the only good cheap play, right? So I can still kind of build whatever lineup I want by taking other cheaper running backs other than Jeff Wilson. Just great alternatives, which is that Miami's one of the best stacking teams uh, every single week in terms of their passing game. So I'd rather just play Tua and Tyreek. And I mean, Tyreek's always owned, but this week I think he's going to have like a couple of really real benefits going towards him, which is that first of all, there's not going to be a lot of ownership, I think, on expensive wide receivers as a group because there's so many cheap running back plays that people are going to want to play three running backs instead of two running backs. If you're playing three running backs, obviously that means there's less ownership on all of the wide receivers because people are playing three of them instead of potentially four of them. And also, you put a running back into your flex spot, 
like who's the cheapest viable running back this week is probably Latavius Murray at 5K, right? That's still a lot more expensive than the cheapest viable wide receiver where you're down at like $3,100, right? So that's going to push people into having to spend more at the mid range and lower at wide receiver versus at the high end range. So I think if you build a Tua Tyreek stack, you're going to get off of the primary build. And so you might only be able to get that at like 20%, 20, 25% cumulative ownership. And it's, it's a stock that all we know has an absolutely massive ceiling. So I would rather just play it that way personally than, than eat a bunch on Jeff Wilson. Yeah, it, it's tough because we just look at the Houston team and they're just so bad. They're so bad that we don't know that two is going to have to throw. And I know that they do put the, you know, the, the foot down on the gas, but like, it's, it's still something where as we're getting close to the playoffs, we could easily see, you know, to a benched or not benched, but at least running the ball. So they're a little bit more conservative. I don't think uh, it's very likely that Jeff Wilson fails. But I mean, no running back is is guaranteed twenty five points. Like he right, could can, easily have fifteen. Can I interest you in Brevin Jordan? Then I'm just no. kidding. Let's go ahead and move on to your team. <laughs> <laughs> your oh team, my goodness! Okay, I want to talk about my favorite game on this slate for a couple reasons. But number one is the circumstance. There's really only two games in this early window that I think have a lot of fireworks. So then we just talked about one of them being Houston, Miami, and this is the other one, Cincinnati and Tennessee. Most of the higher scoring, higher projecting games are taking place in the late window where people are going to yep. be stacking both sides of Chargers and Cardinals. They're going to be stacking sides of Vegas and Seattle. They're going to be at least stacking Kansas City because people always want to stack Kansas City. Uh, and then even... Uh, New Orleans and San Francisco will attract at least some interest in terms of the San Francisco side, I think. So because we're going to see a lot going on in the later spots, you know, I want to be able to get information early on before we have to make the rest of our decisions about the rest of our lineups. And so I want to be targeting that early window with some stacks, with some one-offs. And I think my favorite game that probably flows a little under the radar this week is going to be Cincinnati, Tennessee. I will note off the top, we do not, we do not yet know if Jamar Chase will play, depending on the site they might have him projected in or out. I personally think he's more than likely to play, but obviously I'm waiting on the official news just like anybody else is. I'm interested in stacking this game, I think, regardless, but probably even more so if Chase is active. Uh, shout out, Taylor, uh, with the Hoot Egg. There's a few reasons why I love stacking the Bengals' passing attack in this game. Uh, first of all, Samaje Pirine's cheeks, like just not a good running back, right? Uh, so this is one of those spots where you have the Titans' defense, incredible against the run, very mediocre against the pass. I think that the run defense that they have is legitimate, the pass defense, which has been okay for most of the year, I think is pretty fraudulent. They've played the Colts twice. They've played the Texans. Uh, they've been playing a ton, a ton, a ton of bad teams. They've been playing the NFC East uh, and, and not yet Philly. So it's been primarily uh, schedule-driven, in my opinion. We saw them play against the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes lit them up to crap, right? He put us over 450 yards against them. So to me, you have a team that's legitimately good against the run, a team that I think people think is serviceable against the pass, but in my opinion is actually subpar. And then you have a Bengals team that is now even further incentivized to be throwing the ball because they don't have their, their starting running back and Joe Mixon. They have some AJP run. So especially if you get Jamar Chase back, it even adds to it. I think if Chase is out, I'm definitely fine playing Burrow with Higgins and Boyd or with Higgins and Hurst. Uh, and if Chase is in, then I definitely want to play Chase because you're usually going to get the first game off injury uh, bump in terms of, you know, people not wanting to play that guy. And I'm going to be playing Burrow with Chase and Higgins or Burrow with Chase and Boyd or Burrow with Chase and Hurst, whatever, some mix. That's probably going to be one of my favorite stacks. And then with people reaching down low at the running back position on Jeff Wilson, on Latavius Murray, on Samaj P. Ryan, who you're getting leverage off of in this game, and on Rashad White. Pay up, pay up for the big dog, Derrick Henry. Uh, you know, I think he's always in play for a massive ceiling game at any point in time. We know that he's one of those running backs that helps contribute to stacks. And so since he double stack with Henry bring back or with Burks bring back uh, are going to be two of my favorite things to do this week. Yeah, I actually really like the Burks take. I think that that's interesting. I mean, he's faced tough coverages over the past few weeks and he's he's been beating it uh, after coming back healthy, of course. And Tannehill is lighting it up over there for, for the Titans. Um, I'm, I'm having an issue thinking that Hayden Hurst still remains as a viable part of this offense with Jamar Chase coming back, just because I don't think they need him. I, I feel like they've needed him because teams have doubled up mm. on Higgins and they've doubled up on, on, uh, Tyler Boyd. 
they bracketed coverage each one of those guys because they don't pass to the running back. So, you know, we saw it a couple weeks ago, like Joe Mixon was viable in the passing game. You know, Hayden Hurst has been viable in the passing game. Now that Chase is back, I just don't think that they need to utilize that position as much. So, uh, for me, I, I'm going to be fading, fading Hayden Hurst a little bit more often, and I really like the Traylon Burks take, uh, even more so than Derrick Henry. I like Derrick Henry, but, you know, we could see a shootout where the Tennessee Titans are going to have to pass the ball. I don't know if if Derrick Henry gets involved, if he gets shut down a few times. You, you tried telling Mike Vrabel he has to pass the ball. <laughs> I know, come right? out of that conversation alive. Hey, they've been passing a little bit more often lately, so I like it. All right, let's go ahead and let's talk a little bit about the Seahawks. Taylor in the game. chat says Fadenhurst. Am I right? <laughs> oh, my God. For the record, I would only play Hurst uh, in stacks just because I really prefer to correlate my tight end with passing touchdowns. I'm not playing one-off Hayden Hurst. I, I value my money. Yeah. yeah, and I do like Boyd this week, by the way. All right, let's go ahead and let's bring up the Raiders and the Seahawks because this seems to be like the biggest question pretty much for the whole slate with the new breaking news. And the thing is, like, we don't want to spend too much time discussing about how Josh Jacobs, you know, is out. And, and so all of a sudden you got to play this guy, this guy, this guy. And we also don't want to spend too much time saying Josh Jacobs is in because we don't know right. the information. This news just no. broke literally two minutes before we got on the show. The news just broke. So... What we're going to do is we're going to try to focus on what we do know and the assets that we have. And the reality is, is after the, the Raiders got shut out a few weeks ago up against the, the Saints, was it four weeks ago, right? Up against the Saints. Yeah. Uh, they've made it a point to target Devontae Adams. Relentlessly. I want to put this into perspective, Jacob. I don't know if you saw my tweet earlier. And if, if you guys want to go follow me over there on Twitter at FF underscore intervention. But Cup last year, right? Record setting pace torched in the league, set multiple records across almost infinite different uh, uh, receiving-esque records. He did not have a three-game stretch like Devontae Adams has had. Like Devontae Adams has had a, a more dominant three-game stretch than Cooper Cup had the entire season last year. I mean, this is something where he's seen, what, 26 targets, I believe, three or 413 receiving yards, uh, five touchdowns. This guy's been on fire, Jacob. He's been on fire. And I don't want to fade that. I want to keep playing that. I want to keep attacking that. Uh, I'm going to keep playing him up until they show that they do not want to give him the ball anymore because now with Waller on IR, with Hunter Renfro on IR, they got Mac Collins, and that's it, you know? They've got they've got Moreau. Sure, he can take some targets, but he only had one target last week because they're just hyper-targeting this guy. And now if Josh Jacobs is out, whether or not he's out or in, if he's in, then that's great because that ends up pulling or giving me leverage towards the people that are playing Josh Jacobs. And if he's out, then that means that, that he's going to be targeted even more often because they're not going to have an efficient running back who's able to actually take over that role and get him into to third and short situations. Bentley, be quiet. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. Um, I, I love I love Devonta Adams uh, moving forward. I, I'm going to play him until they put him over 10K at the receiver spot, like because he's going to continue to return value. And honestly, I don't think he's going to be chalked because he's what the second most or the, the most expensive receiver yeah. on the slate itself. I think he's facing the same concerns that Tyreek is that I'm that I lined out where it's going to be really hard for people to be playing expensive wide receivers with the build structure this week. And I think it'll keep him in the 15% range. Maybe now, it's a little higher if Jacobs is out. I think what also affects him is the fact that the Seahawks have been really good up against wide receivers this year. Yeah. They haven't allowed a single wide receiver over 100 yards since week one, which was Jerry Judy. I think he got like 102, something on those. And that lines. was on like but, a coverage bust. Like he was just wide yeah. open. Yeah, yeah. So like 70 yeah. yards of it. Yeah. The thing is, is, is Devonta Adams has gone up against the number one and the number two passing defense over the past two weeks, the Broncos and the Colts. Uh, sure, he also destroyed the Jaguars, but you know we don't need to talk about that. I mean, Adams torched the number one and the number two defense up against uh, mm -hmm. wide receivers, and and so yeah, I definitely, absolutely want to play Devonta Adams, and I have no concerns about his production this upcoming week. Uh, you know, I, I actually wanted to make my lock of the week, which we'll talk about later, but I think it was just too obvious, so I'm going to pivot to somebody else. But if I could make my lock of the week, he's going to be in a lot of my lineups. Um, this is also a situation where we could play Foster Moreau along with it. So Yeah, that's the one I love. Yeah, I mean, we've seen him get these premium targets, right? Like his, his target premiums have gone up over the past three weeks, although he's not seen a significant uh, level of fantasy winning upside. He still has receptions of like 31 yards, uh, 30 yards, and like 21 yards, I believe. So 
he's seen these these breakaway opportunities or these big gains, these chunk gains. And all it's going to take him is to get into the end zone a couple of times for him to pay off at his price. But the biggest thing is the Seattle Seahawks, we, we know this. We've seen it. We've talked about it almost every single episode. We want to play the tight ends up against the Seattle Seahawks. And this strategy has not let us awry very often because they're so terrible. And, and I don't know what it is. I don't know why they, they don't go out and fix it. They fix a bunch of their other issues, but they've been bad up against the tight ends for 10 years. So I want to continue to hammer away Foster Moreau. I think that if he gets you a touchdown, you're golden. I, I, I'm all in on this game, but I'm all in on playing Foster Moreau and Devonta Adams as well, where I kind of want to pivot from most of the people that will be playing a double stack of Foster Moreau and Devonta Adams. I actually still want to play Geno Smith. Like I'm going to have so many players in this game, and, and I know that that kind of limits your upside to an extent, but I think that this is the highest scoring game in the slate, and I think that it could hit over 60 points. So I'm already hammering the, the over right now, the Vegas over uh, with my bets. I have a bunch of bets out there right now that involve a parlay with, with hitting the over on this game because I think it becomes a 60-65 point game. And I think that Kenneth Walker, Kenneth Walker is going to be heavily involved. So I know that guy's chalk, right? I know he's chalk, but I'm going to go ahead and play him, and I'm going to feel good about playing him because I'm going to be playing two guys, two pass catchers from the Raiders while also playing Geno Smith. But the biggest thing is we've seen. We've seen the hand check, right? We, we feel good about Kenneth Walker catching balls now. He saw eight targets last yes, you week. you do. Two weeks ago. He, he saw eight targets. He caught six of oh them. Oh, my he God. It happened one time. He's like, he's now in he like the 23rd percentile targets. in yards per row run. Woo. Four targets the week before that. They're starting to use him in the receiving game. They're phasing out the other two guys in DJ Dallas and Travis Homer. I mean, it, they're starting to realize, like, all right, so he got shut down up against the Bay Buccaneers, right? So what did they yeah. do? They got on the ball in the open field because they want him still involved in the offense. The Seahawks know in order for them to be successful, Kenneth, Kenneth uh, Walker has to touch the ball. Kenneth Walker has to be involved in the offense. So I'm looking at a situation where the Raiders are abysmal. They are by far the worst team up against pass, catch, pass catching running backs. They're like first in, in yards given up to pass catching running backs. They're, they're third, I believe, in, in total receptions. They're fourth in touchdowns given up. In the air, by the way. This is all in the air. So we have a team that's terrible. Oh, and by the way, the best part is they, they've only played two pass-catching running backs the entire season in Austin, Eckler, and uh, I can't remember who the other one is off the top of my head. They've only played two pass-catching running backs, two guys that do most of their work in the air. They haven't played anybody else. So they're one of the worst teams up against guys who don't even catch passes. So I am going to run Kenneth Walker out there. I'm going to feel good about it. The The issue that I have with playing Gene is the other one who, who roasted him. Yeah. Okay. Come here. There you go. Perfect. Yeah. So he was RB one that week. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, they got roasted by uh, Dari Ungumbawale. Like <laughs> he put up five receptions, like 53 yards. It, it's absurd. But uh, you know, it, I, this is where I have the issue though, right? Is where do I go with my other play? Because I know that Geno Smith is most likely going to see, some some rushing right he's probably gonna rush six to seven times this game he'll probably have 50 yards because the raiders are really bad up against containing guys who can scramble i mean they gave up you you probably know this they gave up 38 yards and a touchdown to matt ryan i mean so if you're giving up 38 yards and a touchdown to matt ryan on the ground like you're going to to get torched by geno smith on the ground so i'm looking at least five points from the rushing game but where do i go at wide receiver where's gonna who's gonna be his other pass catcher because it's kind of crazy. We're used to boom weeks from DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, right? Boom or bust. Yeah. One of them goes off. The other one, you know, typically doesn't hit. They've both been mediocre like this entire season. Like they've both been putting up like 15 points. I think Tyler Lockett has two boom weeks, if I remember correctly, Jacob. I think he has two boom weeks. And I think DK Metcalf only has one boom week or one week of getting you over 20 fantasy points. Mm -hmm. Now their price reflects it because they're only sitting there like 61 and 6,300, uh, somewhere in the low sixes. So it's not like they're they're expensive, but which one do you play? Because the Raiders can be attacked anywhere. They've they've been beaten downfield by guys like MVS. They've been beaten in the slot by guys like Chris Godwin. I mean, like you've seen production come out from the wide receiver position up against it. But do you feel good playing Tyler Lockett if his likely outcome is 50, 15 fantasy points? Do you feel good playing DK Metcalf if his likely outcome is fifteen fantasy points? The answer is no. I feel great so, about both. Yeah, I mean, the, I don't know. They have we've seen a ceiling from them this year. We've seen a long sample on them over the course of their careers as being players that possess a ceiling. I don't think either is going to be super heavily owned. They both have a great matchup. I don't have a particular yeah. preference. I, DK, I'm happy DK to play Metcalf has one week of over twenty fantasy points. So I mean, his ceiling. DK Metcalf, we've seen over the yes. course of his career that his ceiling is always there. 
Like his usage is fine. The Lockett and Metcalf both have had perfectly adequate usage all year yeah. in line with their projection. They have. Um, I, I have no, I have no problem with either of them or with both of them. Um, I mean, historically, yeah, historically you haven't wanted to play them both together, but they're pretty. They're they're a little more low price than they used to be in the peak of the Russell Wilson days. Like you're talking about 6,500, 6,200. Like I think you can roll out a Geno double with those two. And, and it's certainly viable in theory. Um, I, I think that if you're playing Walker, you know, that's one way to do Geno Walker and one of them. I'm not quite at the point with Walker where, you know, because of one game all of a sudden where he went from second last in yards per route run to 46th that I'm now wanting to throw him in my quarterback stacks. I'm not quite at that point yet. I'm I'm playing Walker this week for sure. Don't I'm playing Kenneth Walker. I'm probably not playing him with Geno. If I play Geno, I'm probably single stacking him with one of Lockett or Metcalf. I think I'd rather do than the double. I think the double's viable. But you could also play one of Lockett or Metcalf and Fant. Uh, I mean, his rope participation kind of sucks, but he still has shown flashes of a ceiling the last couple of weeks. It's that dose score, man. I'm just following the dose score. Yeah. Um, so, Jacob, is there another game that you're so much more like heavy on than than anybody else? Like, you well, know, I barely even. I wanted to talk about the Raiders side quick because I, I didn't get a oh, chance. Oh, go ahead, please, um, do, please. Do. So I, you're gonna. This is gonna shock you, but I've actually done some uh, matchup research on this spot, and I can't believe oh, really? you passed it. So. I looked into Foster Moreau because Foster Moreau played 100% of the snaps last week, but he didn't run a, a route on a particularly high percentage of those no, snaps. Was low. And so something I try to look into is, okay, what are the explanations for this? And the Denver Broncos have one of the highest blitz rates in the NFL. Denver Broncos yeah. blitz on 35.6% of snaps. That's the fourth highest in the NFL. The Seattle Seahawks blitz on 16.2% of snaps. That's the seventh lowest in the NFL. So you're going to see Foster Moreau out in a route on a much higher percentage of plays than he was last week. That's one of the reasons why Seattle is so bad against tight ends. Seattle has also historically been a team that tries to cover the boundaries of the field and they try to cover D. So I think Adams is good enough and they've been creative enough with him after losing Renfro and Waller, where I think they're going to make him a focal point regardless. So I'm not using that to be preventative about Adams. But I do think Moreau is in a fantastic spot coming off of a matchup where he was probably doomed to fail. And now he steps into a matchup where he's going to be deployed much more advantageously and he might carry a little bit less ownership because of that flop lag. So I'm going to make Renfro, I think, one of my pillars of my tight end position. Or, sorry, Moreau, one of my pillars of my tight end position. This Dude, I, I literally was was talking about Foster Moreau's blocking percentages and how we've seen an increase. I have it right here in my notes. It says, talk about blocking percentages because he does get used as a blocker a lot of times when people expect him to go off. But the Raiders systematically even the patriots back in the day they used their tight ends as blockers when they're they're facing high blitz rate teams so you nailed it on the head 100 and you know i love i love uh, moreau even more so if josh jacobs plays because i think that mm. moreau can end up stealing a couple touchdowns towards the tail end of the game or i mean when they get close to the red zone excuse me uh that josh jacobs would normally capitalize on right I, I, because the seahawks have been stout up front when inside the, the the red zone so i feel like you could end up stealing a couple touchdowns away and those two touchdowns not only help you out but it also kills about 20 percent of the lineup that's playing josh jacobs so i'm hoping right. josh jacobs does play so that way i can leverage it with with foster moreau i will say really briefly because we have seen questions in the chat i don't want to get super into the jacobs thing because we don't know exactly what's going to happen and by the time you're listening to this you might have a better idea all i'll say is if um if jacobs is out I'm not playing any of the Raiders running backs where Seattle's susceptible against running backs is generally in the past game. Yep. So I'm not interested in playing Zamir white. Who's been a total zero in the past game his whole life. Uh, I think he'll see most of the rushing workload that Jacobs has seen, but Jacobs's role is tremendous. He sees 100% of the rushing. And then he basically sees almost all of the passing except for really obvious third and long type situations. Uh, Zamir white, I think is going to see most of the rushing, but he's going to seed most of that intermediate passing work to probably mostly Amir Abdullah, but Brandon Bolden has worked in on occasion as well. Uh, and then because it's not all going to be consolidated around one guy in Abdullah, it might be, but because there's some fear that Bolden chips in a little bit too, I don't think either of those guys are playable. So I'm probably playing none of the running backs if Jacobs is out. The best case scenario for me is that Jacobs is like a game time decision that I'm able to hold out a running back spot uh, you know, in this game, which is probably going to be leading to me like playing when I set my lineups in the morning, tons and tons and tons of Walker and other late running backs, because I want to have that flexibility where potentially we get Jacobs healthy, active and like half the ownership that he would have had if this game was at noon and everybody knew he was going to be active at 1030. 
Yeah, I think it's crucial to have at least like two to your spots, whether it's a, a flex position, but primarily in the running back spots as your late games so that you can actually pivot uh, either to Josh Jacobs if he does play or, you know, pivot over to Kenneth Walker if he doesn't. I, I love, love having these late game stacks like this, like when it's mm-hmm. so just heavy on the late games because people just stop playing. They stop playing their, their DFS because they think, oh, my lineups are submitted. I'm done. But really, that's when you can make the most money is when you can leverage the rest of the con- uh, contest. Absolutely. All right. Jacob, what you got, man? Okay, so I was originally going to talk about the Cardinals and the Chargers, and we can for a second, but uh, after we had talked pre-show, then we got the Leonard Fournette doubtful call, and I really want to talk a little bit about the Bucks and the Browns. I did too. Uh, so I'm, I'm live-switching like... on air, so I apologize. The, the biggest reason I want to talk about it is so Rashad White, great play, of course, but unlike the Jeff Wilson play, I actually think that Rashad White might carry even increased fragility. So one thing that was really notable was when they, I was actually, I was pumped to play Rashad White this week at low ownership with Leonard Fournette healthy, because I've talked about this. He was out snapping Fournette 28, 22 when Fournette was healthy and active, right? It's not like Fournette was a starter. Then he went out and then White got all the snaps. Like White was the lead guy. But interestingly, when Fournette went out, the first series that they have, it's Keyshawn Vaughn that goes on the field, right? That signals to me. It's like, okay, White's, I'm sure, going to be the lead guy, clearly. But this might be more 60-40. It might be more 70-30. It's probably not going to be 90-10, right? He might not be seeing the 2021 Leonard Fournette workload. Other concern is that when the Bucs have led in games this year, they really have not engaged running backs in the past game quite as much as they used to. They've done a little bit more in trail script. I think that that opens up a little bit of fragility to White's floor and maybe limits the ceiling a little bit on him. And then they just haven't been able to run the ball at all this year. Like Rashad White, Leonard Fournette, both of their events analytics profiles are in the gutter. I think mostly because the offensive line's been really poor. And so I'm not sure that White can get there on efficiency. I'm not sure he's assured to get there on volume. I think that he, you know, is is likely to be living in the 15 to 20 point range with some risk if he doesn't find the end zone of falling below that. And I say all this because I'm still going to play some White, but if he's going to come in 25, 30, 35, 40% own in contests, Tom Brady is sitting there at 5,800 and he only throws to two guys in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. This Browns defense has been pretty bad, especially against the run. They've been bad almost in all phases. We saw the Dolphins just slice them up for 40. We've seen plenty of teams slice them up without much resistance. Tom, old man Brady's coming off the bye. We know Mike Evans and Chris Godwin have been dealing with some stuff. They come in healthy off the bye. I, I think the I, I think you can play a Tom Brady double stack at like 20% cumulative ownership, get max leverage off of Rashad White and bring it back with really whoever you want on the Brown side. It seems like the Browns guys always project well. They're never remotely owned. Uh, you can play, play Mari Cooper. You can play Nick Chubb. You can play DPJ. David Njoku, they're saying they want to work in and have an increased workload this week. And so I think that that's probably one of my favorite low-owned things to play is the Dom, Tom Brady, Evans, Godwin, and then bring it back with insert Brown. So, all right. This is where it gets tricky for me because, I mean, the last time we saw him go head-to-head, this game was abysmal, right? And that was one of the last times that the Saints were actually, like, healthy, you know, because the Saints haven't been healthy for weeks. So I want to say they have, like, four players who are starters returning to the team for injury. Um, I'm sorry. I was thinking Lattimore. I apologize. Uh, we're talking about the Browns. So talking about uh, the Browns. I apologize. I apologize. I was just looking looked, something in up your defense, I, got tied. I switched up the game. I was going to talk about in the middle yeah. of the show. So if you're going to make a mistake, that, that was bad. on me. My bad. That, that was, was no, that was better. So with Cleveland, uh, we already talked about how bad they are up against the run last week. You know, we, we hammered it home that you have to play running backs up against Cleveland. So I do think that we're not the only ones that see that, and we'll receive. Right. You know, Rashad White very heavily owned. I think that Keyshawn Vaughn coming in ended up completely decimating the thought process that I had in terms of like, okay, Rashad White is going to be the bell cow. He's going to see 80% of the snaps. We also know that Tom Brady has certain feelings about rookie running backs and doesn't want him on the field all the time because mistakes do happen. For me, I can't bring myself to want to play Rashad White in too many lineups. So I like that the angle that you're going with as to where like you're going to be attacking the Browns on the outside with the wide receivers and in the slot to an extent with Chris Godwin. My issue is, is that Tom Brady has been spreading the ball around. I know that, that you brought up that, you know, he only targets those two guys, but last week with Julio Jones healthy, I, I think they all saw right around seven ish targets or so. So I can't be like too heavy on, on trying Julio to run up the double four, stack. I believe, I, I believe he was at four targets. 
Okay. All right. He did score, Either way, however. I will double yeah, check he that. was involved in the offense. He was involved in the offense. I'm five targets. Five targets. Yeah, I think it was like five to, to seven targets for the majority of them. I, I like these two. I like the concept of it, and I really wanted to dive into this game. But this game really, for me, depends on uh, Vita Vea. If Vita Vea is actually healthy, I don't want to play this game because I don't want to play Nick Chubb. I don't really want to play Amari Cooper that much. Uh, Cooper would be the guy that I probably would play if I had to play, you know, anybody in this lineup. But like trying to, to attack this game, I just think it's going to be too low scoring, right? If Vitave is out, that whole team changes because he is the anchor to this defense. So Nick Chubb could see those breakaway runs we want to see. He could see these, these uh, opportunities to get chunk yardage. And, you know, we could see Kareem Hunt as potentially an option as well in the receiving game because mm. they're going to have to put so many guys in the middle to, to block up what Vitavea did. You know, when the Buccaneers were subpar up against the running back, it happened around like week five and six, or maybe it was week seven. It was a couple weeks where uh, Keem Hicks was out. And it, yeah. it, Keem Hicks is just a rotational player. He's a rotational guy. But once they were forced to play the, these these backups that were rotational guys, we just saw chunk yardage over chunk yardage happen. And so by the end of the game, the Buccaneers were actually getting run on because they didn't want to put in the rotational guys. Uh, if Vita Vea is out, I'm much more inclined to play this game because I think the Browns offense moves a little bit better and it just makes for a higher scoring game. If he's in, I just don't see enough opportunities because we haven't seen Tampa Bay light it up like we have last year. So I'm I'm, I'm somewhat out on this game, but I, I could see it happening if Vita Vea is not playing. Do you want to touch at all quickly on the Cardinals and Chargers? Yeah, I do. The, I the, think reason, why, the is... reason why I didn't end up talking about it that much is that I, I think it's a really interesting game, but I'm not sure. Like, it's a really good game. I'm just not sure I have, like, an angle on it. Like, I, I want to play both sides. Um, I think Connor, I guess, is a guy that I think is, like, probably a little bit undervalued because we're going to see all these, like, replacement running backs that everybody's going to be really excited to play. Connor has been, like, yeah. a 95% snap share guy the last two weeks. And so if he's not attracting as much ownership as the others, that's a guy I really want to be in on. But beyond that, like, I'm not sure that there's a ton of guys going under the radar. What, what are your thoughts in this game? Uh, Greg George is interesting, but he's going to be too chalky for me to play. Was well, he going to play? Because he's, he's a game-time right, call right now. Yeah, I mean, even if he does play, I'm, I'm not, like, sold on him. I'll have him in a couple lineups. Right. If he doesn't play, I mean, you got to play Hopkins, right? Because Hopkins is going to see pretty much all the targets. Uh, you know, outside of that, uh, I don't Would really you play Hollywood anymore. first game back. No, I'm going to give it a week. Okay. Uh, personally, I want to want to make sure he's healthy because we've seen the Arizona Cardinals and how they treat their, their guys returning from injury. Maybe they held him out initially because he, he could have came back last week, according to the reports, yep. but they held him out. So maybe he is 100% healthy. Now, I might have some Hollywood Brown, actually. I, I changed my mind on that. I might have a, a couple of shares of Hollywood Brown I, if Greg Dortch doesn't go. If Greg Dortch does not go. I think Brown's a guy I would swap to on the yes, that I'm looking too hot. Yeah. yeah, because he could absolutely go off, and you're going to end up losing that lineup anyways right. You know, if you don't have men. So like, if you wanted to play, let's just say you have uh, Josh Jacobs, you know, projected in your your flex spot which typically i like playing more wide receivers than i do running backs but if you have like a josh jacobs he's gonna go out or maybe the lineup's not looking too hot i'd rather fade josh jacobs go with hollywood brown so you see the upside and you see the volume because he's gonna play in the slot he's gonna see some short to intermediate routes uh because rondell moore and greg torture out so somebody mm -hmm. has to play that role and he's he's equipped to play that role um i am personally going to try to stay away from this game more often than attack it just because I just see so much chalk. Like I see a lot of like uh, Herbert with Keenan Allen and Jeff Wilson. Like, I think that's going to be a tremendously like, like over owned triple uh, like, or, or I should say start to the lineup right there. And then you're going to see people running it back with Deandre Hopkins and then just trying to play these cheap running backs, you know, the Rashad whites, all that other stuff and, and get that, uh, you know, the, the values, like we talked about earlier in the show. Yeah. So 6,100 is uh pretty egregious pricing. That's a um, steal. And I think the issue is like, so he's going to have a lot of, of ownership on him as he should. Eckler of course is going to have a lot of ownership on him as he should. Although, you know, I'm still, I'm still pretty, I mean, 20% Eckler in an awesome matchup is pretty doable. And he'd probably be 30% if it wasn't for all these running back injuries. So I'm into that. Uh, Everett coming in, uh, first game back off injury, he practiced in full. So maybe that's a guy that you can slip in a little bit under the radar and, and he'll pull some uh, leverage off Keenan Allen. But that's probably in stacks primarily that I'd want to look at that. Yeah, and I think I'm going to fade Josh Palmer. I, I don't think I'm going to play him too much this week. I think that a lot of lineups that I would play him because I'm not going to run him out solo. I would run him out with 
with Herbert, right, as, as a stack. And mm. then I'd either play Eckler and Keenan Allen. But I think that 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 stack right there, either one of those stacks, if you pair uh, Josh Palmer with with uh, with Allen or you par, uh, pair Josh Palmer with Eckler, I just think that that's going to see such high ownership uh, in terms of, like, trying to, to sift through because those guys are expensive. And if you're going to play somebody right. run it back like Hopkins or like Marquise Brown or even James Conner, you're going to have to play Josh Palmer because Josh Palmer is cheap. So – I'm I'm somebody that's gonna have to fade uh, Josh Palmer this week. I don't want. I think I think if I'm building a stack in this game, uh, and if it's a Chargers stack, I think I'm I think I'm including max one of the three high owned guys, being Allen, Eckler, and Palmer. And so I'm gonna take one of them, and then I'll take one of either DeAndre Carter or Gerald Everett, um, and to mitigate oh, the ownership. And it's a good matchup for Gerald Everett as well. I mean, it, it makes me a little bit nervous because Gerald Everett was so valuable while Keenan Allen was out. So, you know, we don't know what to expect because Gerald Everett Williams missed, out, right? right? Yeah, yeah, he's out. But, I mean, yeah. Gerald Everett's running the same routes that Keenan Allen is to an extent, right? Yeah. So, I mean, at least in the same area of the field. Maybe not the same I mean, routes, I guess, same area I guess my, my only counter to that would be that Mike Williams tends to soak up a lot of the end zone targets. Uh, Keenan Allen's never been a high proclivity touchdown no, scorer. he hasn't. And, and so, you know, it loses a little bit of volume between the twenties. If he's able to be, you know, an option in the in the red zone, then then that potentially gets you there. I mean, it's in DFS, your tight end scores a touchdown, you have a shot at getting him in the optimal, even if that's like one of two catches. Yeah, I do like that take. That's interesting. Uh, you know, Gerald Everett was somebody that I was looking at when I thought I might be doing this game, and you know, he was interesting. But it still just makes me a little bit nervous if he he does have to get a touchdown for you, and he's still up yeah. there, I think, in price, right? Like he's not the the cheapest tight end in the slate. No, um, he's not. So, I mean, that's uh, yeah, where... He's at a 4,400, which is, I mean, to me, uh, where I'm looking at is, it's like, that's, I'm just, I just don't want to play, I'm, I'm not going to play Herbert and two 20% owned guys together. That just seems like really unappealing. Um, I think it, it forces me to do too much. It forces me, the problem is, is that they're not cheap really either, right? So it's like, if I play Herbert and two expensive, highly owned chargers or one expensive one in Palmer, and I play Hopkins or Connor, I've soaked up a ton of salary and I've soaked up a lot of ownership, which means now I have to look at the rest of my lineup. I have to get on lower owned guys at lower salaries, but there's already a lot of really, really attractive high projecting discount guys, right? So to me, it's like, if I want to pull, it's one thing if I play the Brady stack and nobody's on it. If I play the Brady double, then it's like, well, I have to save some salary somewhere. That's fine because I don't have any ownership on my stack. So now I can play Jeff Wilson in this lineup. Uh, I could play Latavius Murray in this lineup. I don't have to worry about it. But I think you're in a tough spot if you go with like Chargers. If you play Herbert, Eckler, Palmer, Hopkins, well, now you have to save salary and you have to shed ownership. And you're just losing tons and tons of projection playing guys at the same price as Jeff Wilson and Latavius Murray who project way worse. Like I, I just don't know how you get out of that with a with a lineup that is either not totally chalked up or that's not projecting like shit. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I don't have an argument to, yeah. to go on the other side of that. So, Jacob, are you ready to build a lineup, man? Let's build a lineup. Let's build a All lineup. Right. Let's build a lineup. Do you like how I threw that music in that time? So that way, you know, we came back and now it's yeah. now it's up on the screen. We love that. We love music. So how'd you do yesterday? How'd you do yesterday in your in your lineup? I did okay. I mean, so like I cashed a few. I ended up being a little down because I min-cashed, I think like – I think I ended up doing like 12 lineups. Uh, I think I min cashed like four to 12. Um, so I just didn't really have anything super, super live. I looked, I thought I was pretty good after the first game. I played some Isaiah McKenzie. And so I was feeling pretty good about that. Uh, just um, on my most live lineup going into the final game uh, was ended up being a Harris plus Stevenson plus Pat's D lineup, which obviously that was not the script that the game ended up taking at all. Um, I don't know. It was it was a close one for sure. I, I thought I had some like good lineups that were live, but just didn't end up working out. How about you? Anything? Any close calls? So I had one. I mean, I, I ended up hitting on a bunch of them. Uh, overall, it was like 50-50 except for one lineup, right? Like I ended up losing just as much as I, I put in. I had one lineup that was hitting for 50. And I thought that I made the same exact lineup that I had Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. Like I, I thought I had mm. one of each. And it turns out that I ended up changing one of those lineups, the one that had Ramondre Stevenson in, I ended up changing it to a different wide receiver hmm. instead of just sticking with him. And so I ended up with a $50 winning for that, for that one would have been with Damian Harris in there could have been in 
the multiple hundreds. Uh, but yeah, it didn't end up hitting, so I was a little bit bummed out. I hit for 50 bucks. Yeah, not bad on a $50 or $5 entry. Can't All right, let's go, now let's go ahead and build this. Uh, Jacob, I was really liking the Geno Smith stacks, but then the Kyle Allen one just seems so sexy, man. I just feel like <laughs> no. you have to... <laughs> no. Hey, hey, I... <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's. You want to go with? Uh, you want to go with Geno Smith? Uh, I, I feel like the it's very easy to build lineups around Geno Smith. Um, Joe Burrow uh, makes a lot of sense for me. Which one do you want to go with? Uh, I'm good with. I mean, my favorites are my favorite of those options is the probably the Burrow one. But I'm to, I'm totally fine with the Geno one too. I'm not opposed to a Geno stack. Let's do the Geno because we know more about the health. Like with the Burrow one, I'm I'm not gonna lock in. I'm not gonna actually build any Burrow stacks until I know for sure what's up with Chase. So let's do the Geno one. All right, that makes sense. I, I know that you don't want to play Kenneth Walker, but I'm getting him in one way or another. Kenneth Walker is going to be that dude. And I'll let you decide which for, one. Just do you... for the people listening, so I can clarify, it's not that I don't want to play Kenneth Walker. I do want to play Kenneth Walker. I won't play him with Geno Smith, but I will in this lineup. You, you know the title of the show? Do you, do you see it up at the top? Kenneth no, Walker. Kenneth Walker hand check. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> We're talking about his hands this week. All right. Uh, no, so I'm going to let you decide would you rather play DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett? um honestly well let's let's just put in uh Lockett's slightly cheaper right 6200 i think yep so let's just put in Lockett for now give us max flexibility if we end up with an extra 300 i'm fine to play with dk i honestly I have very little preference between them i think they project them really. and, and Lockett's actually given you more boom weeks in dk metcalf this season uh he's yeah. putting more fantasy points per game i mean it's kind of crazy how People are still playing DK Metcalf in hopes of that boom, but let's uh let's go ahead and do a run back here. Uh, I think that we can fit Devonta Adams in here uh, with the pricing thus far. You want to try Devonta Adams? Uh, yeah, no. If we're playing if we're playing the Geno thing, then let's do it. Although I if we're, there's no Seattle Raiders stack this week that I'm not putting the Island of Moreau in, so we, we can we can double this up. Let's double both up, and then we got Geno Smith with the Russian upside. Um, I know a lot of people would actually pivot to this and pick Derek Carr in this situation, but I like Geno Smith uh, moving forward with this. And honestly, I think that gives you a little bit of leverage off the chalk for people that are playing this game uh, yeah. that are also playing with Kenneth Walker. All right, so Jacob, your pick first. Who do you want to get in this lineup? Uh, you know, it, it, we're sitting here with a decent amount of money. Let me go ahead and put a placeholder into as I speak. I'll go with the Washington defense because they're not too expensive, but they're also Thirty six hundred. Oh wait, they oh are too. God, expensive. breaking the bank. What about, what about Atlanta? What about Atlanta? Um, sure. Honestly, sure. I, I don't. I mean, it's defense. All right. Well, I mean, it's only seven. All right. Yeah, we'll go with 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 Atlanta just because right. a, AJ trails back and Washington turns into the ball. Okay. Well, I'll give you a choice. So I I, I want to. Um, hmm, do we have enough money for? No, that would that would screw you over too much. I, I wanted to play Tyreek, but we don't have enough money for it. But that's all right. I want so one thing I want to do in each lineup is if White and uh, Wilson are going to carry as much ownership as I expect them to, then I really want to. If even if I'm not doing the full stack, I want to try to have one of Tyreek or Waddle or one of Evans or Godwin in most of my lineups. So in this case, given the salary restraints, uh, I want Evans or Godwin. But I'll, I'll let you pick which one. I don't actually care. All right. So what if I told you I'd be down to play Chris Moore in the flex? <laughs> because no. all you need, you need Chris Moore. All you need is a touchdown from him, and he pays off. <laughs> don't you don't Chris think he's? Moore. You don't think the Texans are going to score one touchdown? Up against the uh, because that correlates right I now we have Tyreek Hill score one touchdown yeah yeah okay, and now we have Tyreek Hill check out Chris Moore. Moore's okay I'm gonna look up Chris Moore's projection right now if his median projection is eight points or better then I'm fine with it don't forget Nico Collins is is doubtful now Nico I'm Collins could have missed in this game I'm looking at six point seven that's uh, close Collins right projected in oh Collins is projected in so that six point seven is, is going to come up okay is he? Well, I I'm not saying that he's projected in like in reality. I'm I'm saying oh, that yeah, in, the, yeah. in the projection set that I'm looking at, in which Chris Moore was at six point seven, Nico Collins was projected in. So if you're telling me Nico Collins is out, then uh, then I'm I'm okay with playing Chris Moore. Uh, I'm yeah, Nico Collins is is questionable right now, uh, but it's not looking good from what the beat reporters were saying. Okay, but I mean, he, I'll be he honest, up- I don't read Texans beat reports, so I will defer to you on this. <laughs> I don't play. Yeah, he, uh, he's seen seven targets, six targets, five targets. Uh, three weeks ago, he put up fourteen point five points. Put up ten points a week before that, three point eight. Like you know, you can't go wrong with that. If he gets a touchdown, it's it's net positive. So uh, I'm going to play Chris Moore because that could set us up with possibly Tyree Kill. How much do we have left? Thirty four hundred. Uh, we would I'm have only, to come if, with, if we're playing Chris Moore. We better be fucking playing Tyree Kill. But uh, also, we can't fit it. 
We can't fit it. We can't fit it? Why? Uh, because that will leave us with 3,400 left for the oh, running yeah, back. Oh, yeah, we position. can't do it. Okay, okay. All right, then scratch Chris Moore's bum ass. Uh, we might need him <laughs> anyway because we don't have that much time. All right, give, give, me, give me whatever's cheaper out of Godwin or Evans. Um, I don't even have them in front of me right now. Godwin, I believe Godwin's always cheaper just because that's – yeah, he's 6K, so let's give, give me Godwin. Yeah, 6K compared to uh, – 6.7. Uh, yeah, 6.7. Yep. Okay. Okay, so we're sitting here with 5K. Running back, uh, dude, Rashad White makes sense in this case. Uh, no, you know, not, if I'm playing, not if I'm playing Chris Godwin. I want to be leveraging off Rashad White. I want to get Yeah, I know. I know. I was just joking with you. All right. Um, who's a, a running back that, that we can get our hands around in that lower range without going too much into well, the I like Well, I, I kind of I, I like Damian Pierce actually a little bit as like another implicit leverage point off of Jeff Wilson. Up against uh, the Dolphins? I mean, I don't give a shit about matchups. You know that. <laughs> is is there another guy that that we could possibly go with? I mean, we know what happens with Michael Carter. As soon as Mike White steps in, he sees a hundred targets a game. Ah, uh, that's not the worst. Chicago. Okay, all right, all right. Did all I right. did that's I sell you on me. that? Yeah, that's we, okay. We, I can play. Michael I need Carter. to go cheaper. We're sitting at forty six hundred now for the flex spot. Uh, we're looking at guys like Travis Homer, Amir Abdullah, who actually is interesting right here up against the Seahawks. No, I'm just kidding. We already have too much of that game. Um, it's too bad. Normally, my favorite guy in this range is Mac Hollins this week, but he obviously is not going to work in this lineup. Although I like Burks at 4,200. We could play Burks. Um, I wouldn't play Wilson because we're playing Michael Carter, but he he also projects really well. Um, we could play Burks. We could spend up a little bit more defense. Um, if there's somebody else you like, I'm fine with them. Uh, Chris Moore. No, I'm just kidding. Let's uh... – <laughs> Uh, how interesting would it be if Marlon Mack actually came in and, and ran well and actually outproduced Latavius Murray, who's not? Uh, that, that would be interesting, under. but I don't want to play Marlon Mack. All right, let's do Traylon Burks. Let's let's start Traylon Burks in there. I, Pop, I like toss whatever defense in you want. We have four hundred to play with now. Uh, I don't think that's enough to pivot up. And honestly, like I'm I'm cool with playing the the Falcons defense with AJ Terrell back. They put up AJ do Terrell. Play back, the, yeah. Do you don't want to play the Bears defense? Oh no, we can't. We have Michael Carter. All right, that's fine. Yeah, I mean. Last week, AJ Trell came back. They ended up putting up four sacks. They had our defensive uh, touchdown as well. You know, we've seen them bad over the past few weeks, but with AJ Trell in, it does end up allowing a little bit more time for the receivers to get open. He's likely going to shut down uh, Terry McLaurin. So I, I like the Falcons this week with a, a chance to get a turnover uh, later in the game up against the Commanders. Hey, you know, All right. you never have to sell me on a defense. I'm good with whatever. All right, it's in there. For the, for the record, if, if people are – we don't swap these because we build them on the show, but if, if, if people out there in the streets are looking at this, um, obviously we would actually put Adams in the flex and Burks in the wide receiver slot. So that you could oh, 100% so we could pivot all of you. Yep, I agree, 100%. All right, Jacob, we got one section left. We got to talk about our, right. our flag plants. We got to talk about who's going to produce this week that isn't going to see like high ownership, somebody that might be a little bit contrarian to help you get off the lineups. Uh, I can go first if you'd like me yeah, to go, go first. first. I like All it. Right. Last week, I hit on Jonathan Taylor, and I hit on Daniel Jones. Week before that, I hit on Jonathan Taylor. I took Jonathan Taylor two weeks in a row. Week before that, I think I ended up hitting on somebody. I can't remember who. But this week, I'm going to hit. I'm going to hit on Geno Smith. I think Geno Smith has a massive game. I think that this becomes the highest scoring game on the weekend, believe it or not. I know that we haven't seen that from either team because they both scored well, but not great. Uh, I just think that it's the Raiders' time where we're hearing talks that they might move on from, from their head coach. The pressure is on for the Raiders. They have to produce this week. They have to give you something. And we already know that the Seahawks are capable of keeping up with almost any team in the NFL. Uh, Geno Smith this week. I don't I don't care about Tyler Lockett. I don't care about DK Metcalf. I love me some Kenneth Walker, but he's chalk. Uh, it, we're going to see Geno Smith put up points this week. And I can't wait, man. It's going to be a fun week to watch him. All right. My guy... I went back and forth because there was a few different options, but I'm going to go with the quarterback position here technically, but really my flag plan is this whole passing offense. But I'm going to go with Spoken Joe Burrow against the overrated, fraudulent Titans secondary. Uh, I believe that Joe Burrow is going to have his full arsenal of weapons back with Jamar Chase, Higgins, Boyd, Faden Hurst. Even if he doesn't have Chase, I think he's still got more than enough to beat up on a Titan secondary. I think that we're going to see the Bengals post one of their highest pass rate over expectations this week without Joe Mixon because they're going to give Samaj P. Ryan about five carries and realize that that's not really going to be the way to win this game, running his ass into Jeffrey Simmons. So I think they're going to be passing it frequently. I think they're going to be passing it successfully. I expect Joe Burrow to go over 300, go over three touchdowns. 
he's going to be the QB one this week. 